G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Well, welcome to the podcast. We're going to have a little bit of a different podcast for you this week. No news, unfortunately, because I'm just not going to have time to do it. We're up at the Brisbane Truck Show, so I've put this podcast together a lot earlier than I normally would have, and it's pointless doing news and that for you now because it's going to be well out of date by the time you get it. So it's Friday morning. I'm in Brisbane. We're at the Truck Show. It's National Road Safety Week. We're almost at the end of National Road Safety Week, and we really should be thinking about, I suppose, what's going on on the roads. Now, I want to talk about what's going on on the roads. There was an article written which appeared on the ABC, which was written by Jake Evans. It was entitled, The Road Toll Rises in Almost Every State and Territory, Putting the Road Safety Strategy Badly Off Course. The road safety strategy is badly off course. The annual road toll has risen over 10% since 2001. Only New South Wales is on track to halve its road toll by 2030, as they've said they would. The lack of progress has prompted calls for the federal government to do more. Now, I don't know what more the federal government can do. Let's just have a quick look at the numbers, though, by state and by territory. New South Wales, 289 road deaths in the year to the 31st of March 2022 and 289 again to March 2023, so no change there. Victoria has gone up 9.7%, 259 road deaths in the period 31 March 2022 to 31 March 2023, 281 for Queensland, an increase of 1.8%, 93 for South South Australia, an increase of 9.4%, 180 in Western Australia, that's 16.9% up. Tasmania, 48, 9.1% up. The Northern Territory, 37. They've gone down a little bit, minus 14% compared to the same period last year. And the ACT have gone up to uh, 17 out of uh, over 10, which was their previous number, a 70% increase. The Australian Automobile Association's Managing Director, Michael Bradley, says that the government's failed to introduce systems to properly assess the problem. Well, everyone wants to blame everyone for road deaths. I had a conversation with former V8 supercar driver Greg Murphy. Now, Greg made some interesting points, and I'm going to play that interview after we've done this. Murphy said that education, changing people's minds and the way they think about driving and what they do on the roads has more of an effect than any government plan. What we need to do is take some of the money we spend on these government plans and focus it onto education. And that would be what I propose to do. They say that there should be a plan to commit government to annual progress reports and regular data reporting. Well, progress reports, okay, fine. We've had a progress report. We've had a progress report that says we're not making it. We're not actually doing what we hope we're going to do. And the data reporting, well, they've done that as well. I don't see what's going to change. Senator Carol Brown said that 43.6 million had been committed in last year's federal budget over four years to establish a grants program for road safety, including data collection. She said that the Albanese government remains committed to Vision Zero 
zero deaths and zero injuries on our road by 2050. Well, that's a laudable aim, and, and I commend Senator Brown for having it. It's also an impossible aim. We will never, ever, ever have zero deaths and zero serious injuries in our roads. And I don't know why a politician would make that statement. You can't say things that you can't make happen. There is just no point. Gives it, whoever's in opposition to you or whoever wants to shoot you down some ammunition down the track to just throw at you and you know, create that straw mad argument. We have to be pragmatic. We're humans. Humans drive cars. Humans make mistakes. And we're terribly, terribly, terribly easy to kill and injure. We're just bags of water, basically. And when we hit things really hard and really fast, then things go really, really wrong. And nothing's going to change that. People are going to make mistakes. There are going to be people that will do the wrong thing, people that will drive tired, people that will just simply overestimate their ability in a certain set of circumstances, or people who are ignorantly making the same mistakes over and over again until a set of circumstances conspire to come together and their mistake that they've been doing, thinking they're okay for the last 10 years, finally brings them undone. We have to be pragmatic. Education is the way to go. The National Farmers Federation also warned that funding for rural roads in the federal budget was dismal. Well, our roads are dismal. We're paying a lot of money in taxes to fund the roads. That only ever seems to increase. It never seems to change. And yet we're playing dodge the pothole on every bit of road that I can think of. What needs to change is our thought patterns and our priorities. We do need to prioritise our road managers to build better roads. But we also need to prioritise how we use those roads. We need some people with some skin in the game to make some decisions about it. The road managers don't own the roads. The Australian people own the roads. We need to use those roads efficiently. Sometimes that means that the roads are going to be damaged and they need to be repaired appropriately. There's plenty of tax money there to do it. I know, I pay my share. So instead of straw man arguments, instead of promises that you can't keep, let's start educating the drivers, let's start doing some real things to make a difference. It all starts with education. It all starts with the way we do things. Then there's an element of enforcement which has to happen. It has to be seen to happen. Speed cameras that send you tickets two weeks after you've done the offence do nothing except to annoy you and wake you up to the fact that there might be a speed camera there next time. Signs on, on speed cameras, in my opinion, they shouldn't be there. They should not be there. Speed cameras, and that should not have signs on them to warn you. Because what happens, I've seen it happen. I'm a professional driver. I drive around, people see the sign, they slow down, they flash each other, all good past the speed camera, and then they go about doing whatever they were doing. I don't advocate breaking the law, but I do accept that people do it. We all have to accept that people do it. We have to accept that that's what brings people undone, and that's why the road tolls the way it is. That and all the contributing factors like poor weather, poor roads, poor judgment, tiredness, all those things have an effect. Supercar driver Greg Murphy runs an education program in New Zealand, which seems to work. It really does. And if we could just get some funding for these sort of education things, we could make a real difference. I believe it. I believe it in my heart. We really could. Anyway, Road Safety Week. Have a think about it. Truck show's still got a couple of days to go, so if you're down here, come down, see if you can find me. I'll be hanging around somewhere. Craig will be there. Yoga will be with Next Journey uh, stand there with Simon. And look, if you're nice, we might have some merch we can give you. 
Take care of yourselves. Drive safely. Enjoy the podcast. And we'll catch you later on. Oh, by the way, Truck and Life magazine is coming back. We're doing it. Walking around in the TMC truck industry show in Christchurch, Yogi and Greg Murphy. Now, I've got to say, mate, I haven't seen you in a supercar for a while. What have you been doing since then? Why didn't you watch Bathurst? Uh, no, no we were, I was trucking. I was we were trucking, country, mate. Yeah. You didn't watch Bathurst? No. I oh, was no, there this year. Oh, were you? Yeah. You missed, oh, man. Was he there? Righto. Thanks for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> over the course of the years and this is an interesting start. This is an interesting yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've really taken it to the guests. With what was a great idea and what was proposed to me yeah. was that the three of us with our vast driving experience between the three of us and yep. there's a little bit. You guys have done more Ks than I have but anyway. Yeah. You've done uh, them a lot quicker than we have though, yeah, mate. True. Yeah, true. I so you've been race faster. car driving forever? Or yeah, yeah, I started when I was... Um, I've, I've known you for a long time but yeah, yeah. You know, like we're in, in what you've done. But so I started... I, started I pretty much started racing cars oh, end of 1990 yeah. and I became full-time in Australia and I suppose inverted commas professional yeah. probably 95 okay. and then raced in a professional nature until the end of 2014. Yeah. And then I, okay. I, I packed up shop and, and that was the last time I raced in a professional capacity okay. um, at Bathurst. Uh, it was actually the Gold Coast. Gold Coast 500 in 2014 was my last professional yeah. race. Yeah. And then, yeah, I sort of parked it and went off and did other things, moved back to New Zealand and been doing racing just as a, on an amateur okay. fun space here, mostly in New Zealand, and then took on a whole lot of other roles and things here and around a lot of it to do with road safety yeah. and uh, yeah. and working with a whole lot of different brands like AutoSense. AutoSense is a company that I've been working with for a long time. The Guardian by seeing machines distributors here in New Zealand. Yeah. So And that's just one of the sort of strings and what I do in my bow. Yeah. But I, I did race again a wild card entry at Bathurst this year 2022 uh, it was a wild card entry put together by Peter Addison from Boost Mobile so it was a one-off thing out of the blue never planned I was pretty much done and dusted with driving and, and racing do you like going back to Bathurst like so as well it, I never planned on it it was all a bit of a shock really yeah. because it's eight years since I raced yeah. there so I'd done, I was done. Does it done. feel good? Does it feel... It was amazing. To get back in the seat. Like, it was. Like, like, but I was very like, nervous. Like when I run the paddock, I go across the Nullarbor. I don't like the idea of going across the Nullarbor. And then I get into the idea of going across the Nullarbor and I kind of enjoy the idea of What do you call going, it? The paddock. The paddock. paddock. Running wow. the paddock. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Punching the paddock. Cool. So crossing the paddock, but I guess that it might be the same because it's taxing on you as a person. Massively. Again, you've you got to think, it's like you retiring from driving trucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you, you don't drive one for eight years. 
across the nullarbor, you, you know, and oh, you might occasionally drive a, a tiny little rigid or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, on a Sunday afternoon somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, something, hey, yeah, we need you to do that. And you go, oh, okay. Step up to the big Bloody hell, righto. Because oh, it is, it is. For the non sporting people in Australia, Bathurst yeah. is the grand final. Oh, is there someone who's. Is there any non sporting people in Australia? <laughs> well, the codes, yeah. the football codes, and, and it, is, it is the day that you sort of look yeah. forward to as, yep. you know, as a. But this year you two didn't. Well, well, we're trucking, mate. Yeah, I know. See, this is a cast 22. As truck drivers, we miss so many things. Yeah. You know, wife's birthday, <laughs> Bathurst, kids' <laughs> birthdays. I was running a road train out of Perth and I nearly missed my first one, but we managed to get there. Well, Amanda went 10 days early, too, which was not my fault. I too. Sorry, Amanda. Up with no bag and clothes or anything like that, but anyway. Sorry, Amanda, I can't so, control it. You know what it's so like. What in, in V8s, what, was there a golden era? Did you enjoy yeah, a yeah. certain amount of time? Because we are, as watching the TV. Yeah. Really, I don't think too many people would disagree. We, our, I reckon our golden era was probably late 90s yeah. through for the next 10, 12 years. Yeah. So the Ford Holden battle, which yeah. was going before that, yeah. but the rivalry and the strength of the sport, the strength of supercars, the popularity of it, and the investment by both Ford and Holden yeah. through, uh, let's say, sort of this 10-year period yeah. was intense. Yeah. It was full on. You know, you bled blue or you bled That's red. Right. And, and, right. and the rivalries were over the top, right? Yeah. It's like what we sort of still we see today with, with some other sporting codes, how the fans, the passion for them. We yeah. went through a period where the passion oh, yeah. passion was insane. And yeah. Queensland, New South Wales. Yep, yep, yeah, at least, yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So you've got the state yeah. origin yeah. thing. That's, that's what it was like every race meeting okay. for... For yeah. ten years, and, and I was through that, and I was yeah. holding through and through, and and yeah, and that was yeah. really immense time to be a part of the sport. So I feel very fortunate to have had yeah. that. Yeah, good one. Yeah. No, it's great. It's good to see you've taken on a role yep. in road safety, and I guess pursued on the career that's it's treated you well. Yeah, it's given you a boat to row, yep. and then you pushed on through it into into road safety. So. We're pretty happy to be talking to you in general. I sat here and listened to you yesterday afternoon and it was fantastic. Got sunburn in the South Island sun. Oh, yeah, okay yeah, with that. Yeah. I was stupid enough to say the sun in New Zealand's got nothing, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got a few years on me and I'll... I learned uh, well, I know when to hold them, know when to fold them. I was moving a bit, <laughs> I was, I was moving a bit slower than you, mate. I just, I just was. Just so it was really good here yesterday, and I, I managed to come up and say hello yesterday yep. afternoon, and I appreciate seeing someone of your stature chart like yeah. pushing forward into the... You know, so hence why we're here this Yeah, well, it started a long time ago for me. I started getting phone calls. Um, when I really started to take a lot more notice, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, whatever, I was still living in Australia, I was getting phone calls, I suppose, because, you know, I was a known sort of person over here yeah. uh, in New Zealand. Yeah. I was getting numbers like, oh, around our road toll, and like, yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I, So I started paying attention. They're like, you know, what do you think's wrong? And, and I'm like, oh, well, people don't know how to drive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, they're making bad decisions. The realist kicks in. Yeah, and, and, and then it's just growing and growing and growing. And now it's one of those things that it really makes me so angry yeah. on a regular, probably a daily on basis. Daily. Yeah. But for what I see and what I know mm. and what I've learnt, the bureaucrats are just spending our money yes. willy-nilly all over the place, completely unaware of actually what the real issues are. Yeah. And yeah. currently we are stuck on this tunnel vision around speed yeah. Yeah. and around changing yeah. outcomes. Yeah. Not 
stopping people from crashing, just yeah, yeah, yeah. reducing the damage yeah. when they make mistakes. Yeah. And we're not about the drivers, we're not yeah, about that's... teaching the drivers, Not what it, we're not about educating the drivers, we're not about making the drivers more aware. Yeah. It's not, oh, no, 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 we don't. And they go, oh, we've got research to suggest that that's not what we need to do. And it's like, where's the research? How old is it? Who did it? Yeah. And let's sit down and talk about this. And, so and around, around the speed, like you've driven out of Darwin, you go 10 minutes out of Darwin, 130. Yeah. Well, the speed limit's 130. Yeah. But yeah, I see forever. cars yeah. off the road in yeah. places. It's got nothing yeah. to do with speed. I no, know people are making mistakes. For that. They're yeah. pushing for that in trucks as well. That they're dropping the speed. I think, and the big push for trucks at, at home in Australia is, yeah. is, I think, is coming from major corporate. But yeah. you drop 10 k's, you drop x amount of fuel yeah, consumption. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so there's no issue on speed. It's more about fuel consumption. Yeah, well, like speed limiting to me has always been something. It's just completely senseless. Yeah, it is because it surprises me as an outsider looking in to see that the government here is dropping the speed. Well, see, they're not, see, they've gone and called our current road safety strategy road to zero. Yeah. So zero deaths on our roads by 2035 or 20, whatever it is. Yeah, so okay. zero. Yeah. Zero harm. Yeah. So they've gone and set themselves up with such a bad goal, yeah, right? And they are literally sticking to this. So now they've achieved in the last three years zero of their KPIs. Yeah. Zero. That, yeah. And they've spent $1.9 billion yeah. on giving us terrible, terrible yeah, advertising yeah, campaigns. campaigns and, yeah. and, and so they're not achieving yeah. anything. So it's yeah. like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay. Like, just speed, 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 yeah, speed, 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 speed. They don't care about injuries. Yeah. Injuries never get, yeah, never get mentioned. Talk yesterday. Yeah. They never get, never get bought up. It's death. So if we reduce death, but we've got more injuries, that's not an issue. What did you so say yesterday? Really, there's yeah. a cost on a road death. Did it's you... estimated about 5.1 million to New Zealand as a loss. You said the $400 course that you could do yeah. would go way more advanced yeah. than putting a cost yeah, on Yeah, so you, know, you, you put a cost on, on one death, $5 million. Well, give us the $5 million and we will reduce the risk and we yeah. will start a process that builds young drivers and gives them this awareness. See, they're scared that we're going to go and teach them how to drive fast. We, yeah. We're going to teach them the most basic skills that they need in a practical sense, yeah. not in a yeah. theoretical sense, yeah. right? In a practical sense to understand what ABS is, yeah. understand what tyres are, yeah. you know, what the limitations on physics are, what physics of a motor Why you need is. grip. Why you need grip. <laughs> how, you need how long it takes to stop and why you yeah. shouldn't pull in front of a truck at 100 yeah. k's and stand yeah. on the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we're about giving them this cognitive learning because we understand about the frontal cortex of the brain and everything. And, and you heard yesterday yes. Nathan Wallace talking Fantastic. about how the evolution and the growth of a, a young male's brain, depending yeah. on if they're first born, second born, third yeah. born in yeah. a family, how long it takes to evolve that frontal cortex into fully developed. And 32 second, years old. Not, second, not a first born, second male. 32 yeah. years before you develop. Right. And so, 18. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. And so the risk... Well, that explains really? why I rolled HJ Monaro seven That's times it. in the paddock. There you go. There you go. You didn't learn. No, I, I did after that. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's so much to it. There's a lot of science to it. There's yeah. a massive amount of science yeah. to it. And we are so basic here. Like, in many cases, the same as Australia. Australia's got some better things around learning to drive. And, and certainly regulations and rules and, and all that kind of stuff are, I think, better and stronger. Although, you're still having a lot of the same issues, yeah. right? Yeah. So neither of us are doing it well. 
well, and we're not doing it well here at all. The basic learning and um, what you need to do to get a license yeah. here is just, it's lunacy. Oh, you are asking yeah. for trouble. And then they get their provisional plate in Australia, yep. their red P plate. Yep. They go out and they drive on their own. All of a sudden, they're off the chain. That's right. We've grown up. Yep. Yeah. We don't need to do any more training. That's right. The next time we have to do something is if there's some sort of a medical issue down yes. the track or you get to an age where the government have decided that you need to be checked. Same here. And that's okay. just fundamentally But wrong. here, here, wink, wink, you wink. can learn to drive yeah. and get your be on your restricted, which is the P's. Yeah. There's no restriction on the car you drive. Oh, really? Okay. You can have yeah, a 1,000 horsepower body Commodore. Same in Western Australia. Because like, yeah. everyone in Western Australia has got a V8. Are you? Land Cruiser. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah it's, just, it's stock standard. So... So my 16 and a half year old can step straight into a V8, no dramas at all. Wow. There isn't, but on the east coast there is. Yeah, we have a yeah. few rules in New South yeah, Wales yeah, around engine yeah. capacities and things yeah. like that. So but then we, yeah, we, do, yeah, we get the diversity. So there's no rules here about that. Yeah, and we're we're very weak on you know really controlling that as well. Okay. Um, you know the police really don't have as, as much control as what I think they need to have. They yeah, need to yeah. actually have more. Control. Yeah, they've got a lot to do. They've got you a lot, know, way too much. Yeah, to yeah, way too much. Yeah. You know the thing that I have the most difficulty with about learning to drive. Yeah. The fact that you get your learner's license and you get in the car with mum and dad. That's correct, yeah. Right? Yeah. And they'll put the tribe of kids in the back seat and all the camping gear in the boot. Can I drive, Dad? Oh, yeah, no worries. Mm. And they don't get any real formal training from someone who's in Yeah, we don't, we're not required here to do any either. So yeah. so what kids do here, 12 months on your learners, which is now 16. They got raised from 15 quite a while ago now, which was a good move in my opinion. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think yeah. 16 is the earliest it should be, personally. Yep. And again, we talk about that cognitive learning and the yep. brain, frontal yeah. cortex. I mean, I, I remember when I was 16 years old, you know, yeah. driving around yeah, Hawke's Bay. Done. I mean, mate... 10-foot tall bulletproof. That's yeah. right. Absolutely 10-foot. And I had a crash when I was 18. Honestly, like, fatigued, shouldn't have been driving, yeah. had alcohol in my system, <gasps> the whole thing, yeah. everything bad. I wasn't drunk, but I was had alcohol in my system. Yeah. Late at night, uh, driving a road that I'd been on a thousand times, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just yeah. driving along. Wasn't actually speeding, and I did a lot of speeding. Yeah. Oh, in a small car. I mean, a Datsun 1200, for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. speeding is, is 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah. <laughs> And I lost control and uh, went off the road into some trees oh. in a Datsun 1200, Yuck. a 1972 model, you know, and this is 1991, and injured the passenger, mm. got charged with careless use causing injury, the whole deal. And I tell you, man, I mean, yeah. that's fate. Like, fate determined that day because yeah. if yeah. I'd hit the tree five k's faster, three inches further forward, yeah. on the, the passenger probably would be dead. Yeah. And this is the thing that people don't yeah. understand is when it goes wrong and you have, at that moment, have no more control over yeah. the vehicle. You are at complete and utter fate of physics. Well, on that subject, we had a tragedy just up the road from where I live in Sydney. Yeah. Only recently, where yep. five teenagers lost their lives in a Navarra. There you go. Navarra there you go. Because of inappropriate speed. Yep. Not speeding, yep. inappropriate yep. speed. Yep. And that's and, a really good term, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, lost control of it and collected some structures on the side of the road and five teenagers yep. lost their lives in our little community. It was yep. just devastating. Yeah, and we, we, have, we have that here all the time. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways we can go about making some changes. Yeah, before we get too much into depth, I've got to go and back a tipper and dog at 10.30. Good luck with that. Good luck <laughs> yeah, with I know. That. So I've, I've done me truck driving. What have we got? So we've got yeah. 10 minutes to yeah. wander across the road there. 
I know I've got nine wrong out of 35 questions. It's not bad because I don't hold a New Zealand license, so I'm pretty happy with yeah, the ethics on excuse. that. Yeah. And then we're going to go back to Tipper and Dog, but Murph, thank you very much, mate. Go on, Yogi. Yeah, Great to meet you, gonna... Yeah, I'll leave you with the serious questions with the oh, big truck. Right. You're going to have to add in the results of this uh, later on, Mike. <laughs> we will, we will. Yeah, yeah. When I'm walking away with a wad full of New Zealand dollars. <laughs> which, which, when you convert it back to Oz, will be nothing. <laughs> all, all I will say to you, buddy, is yeah, but... that they didn't even let me enter. <laughs> we don't know if that was a good or a bad thing. <laughs> There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Where were we before we were so rudely oh, interrupted? Oh, uh, yeah, so we have our podcast, The Depot, yeah. um, that we do here as part of um, AutoSense and Eyes Up NZ, which is a brainchild of uh, AutoSense, and we're going to be doing seminars actually next year. We've been doing a bit of stuff through Eyes Up NZ to just, it's again, it's awareness thing, information, yeah. doing seminars with industry, but also next year we're, we're doing seminars with young drivers and parents as well yeah. uh, around some of the teenage brain, learning and understanding the teenage brain a bit. Yeah. We've already covered a little bit about that and how it works and how it functions and the decisions that it makes and why and, yeah. and which parts of the brain do what when yeah. it comes to driving, yeah. which is incredibly interesting to understand it. Really interesting for parents to understand it so that when they are actually with their kids trying to teach them to drive, they actually got a bit more of an understanding of why things are happening yes. and which part of the brain's doing what. So hopefully it will make it easier in some respects to be able to support a young driver through those challenges. And it's massively challenging. We yeah. do not put enough emphasis on how yeah. risky it is and how important it is to actually understand and have those skills to actually navigate safely yes. through the process of getting a licence and driving on our on the roads. Well, it's one of the most dangerous things we do in our daily lives. Absolutely it is. And, and we, but we don't, in Australia, New Zealand, let's just talk about those two countries, we're not putting enough emphasis yeah. on it. I always find it horrifying when I'm driving around. I drive a, a 909 Kenworth as a daily drive. Yeah. Big truck. A lot of blind spots. And uh, the things that you see from the cab sometimes just blow me away, and yeah, particularly absolutely. from new drivers. And it strikes me that a lot of drivers get away with some bad behaviour on a regular basis until sooner or later... But you, if you get away with it, you don't know that there's yeah, a problem. Yeah, but sooner or later they get caught out. That's right. And you can do a lovely pit manoeuvre with a, with a 909 yeah. without even trying. Yeah. And there's that much road furniture on the side of the road that can cause some serious problems. Everyone seems to like AMK Rail and reckons it's safe, but I'll tell you what, no. it does some damage. Yeah, but this is the thing. Of, there's so many parts to this, this issue and problem for people to understand. You're exactly right with what you say. When you've got a bad habit that you don't know is a bad habit, yeah. you can go through years, you could go through your entire life, yeah. and all the little pieces of a puzzle that need to come together for that bad habit to actually be the cause of a situation yeah. or a crash or yeah. something you've got to avoid yeah that's what it takes and that's the thing that people don't really understand they don't know that they are doing something that at a certain moment in time yeah 
could be the catalyst for, you know, for the worst possible outcome. Yeah. So it's, it's about what you don't know, yeah. right? Most drivers are driving with a whole lot of what they don't know. Indeed. Right? Indeed. Which is just waiting to come together to cause that moment. And it will happen to you. If anyone thinks that it's not going to happen to them, all these kids, as you talked about that crash before, that kid driving that car, he never thought, or she, or whoever it was, was that, yeah, a young ne- yeah. and never thought, why is it going to happen to me? He never thought that something bad was going to happen yeah. to him. And now the worst has happened. Yeah. Right? And everyone asks questions. Go, how did this happen? Oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Nothing happens. Nothing changes. Yeah. And, and it we just go on. You know, I had a question the other day. We had nine people die on our roads over, I think, over a three-day period, over a weekend and a Monday, I think yeah. it was, only like a week and a half yeah, ago. I, I read the newspaper yeah. article last night. And I got phoned by the media, and they're like, why did this happen? What's the cause of this grouping of such a high number of deaths? I'm like, that's fate. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. You know, you'll have a week where no one dies, and then all of a sudden you'll have, it's, it's just because of the way we operate. Yeah. Some days it comes together. Some days all these things come together to create these situations. And if one of those factors didn't present on any of those crashes that caused all those deaths, Mm. the outcomes would have been different. And we've just got the wrong people making decisions around rules and regulations and where the money's spent, the wrong people who don't understand that. They don't understand. They think they're doing the right things. But at the end of the day, they're not experienced enough to understand the physics of it, the decision-making, the brain. You know, they should come to our seminar and listen about the brain and how it functions so they could have a better understanding of why they need to not do the things they're doing and and expand on the thinking around road safety. Because people go, oh, make sure you drive safe. Oh, okay. so what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? mean? You go and ask a teenager to drive safe, they're like, "Uh, oh, uh, oh, what? What do I? How, what do you do? Yeah, you know, it, yeah. it's not explained. It's just the phrase. It is. And so, you know, my standing on my soapbox, I've got a voice that does get heard more than other people that are trying to do exactly what I'm doing yeah. over here. Yeah. And so that's what it is. If I can get attention because of what I've done and who I've been and where I've been um, to try and get some change, then so be it. But I stand for all the other people that are also trying to do what I'm doing here. And I fully appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you you're doing it. Same for you guys on the other side. Yeah. I, it's not often I get to talk to someone who's, who's done what you've done. I'd love to have had a go at a supercar. <laughs> really? You and quite a few others. Yeah. Mate, I've got a son-in-law who's got a BMW who takes out on track days. Yeah. And he won't let me drive it. Cause he <laughs> he's scared you're going to show him up. No, no, no. Well, he's scared <laughs> yeah. I might put it in the scenery. Yeah. But uh, he's pretty quick. And um, unfortunately, he's of an age now where a professional race driving career is past him. Sure. But as long as he's getting his buzz and his thrills and adrenaline... He's doing it on a track, In a controlled environment. In a controlled environment, so if it does go sideways... And there's nothing stopping these other young drivers who love to drive fast and speed to go and join a club and go and do these things on a track. Okay, yes, where I live, there's nothing close by, all that. We can't use that as an excuse because the roads are not racetracks. No, they're not. And, And... you know, again, it's this thing about, oh, it won't happen to me, it won't happen to me. It's yeah. like, well, it will, and it can at any given time. And it's not just you yeah. that might suffer. It's everyone else. It's the innocent people yeah, as well, well that are suffering, who are, are doing nothing wrong, driving yeah. along, minding their own business. Yesterday, there's a simulator over there behind the truck safe trailer. And uh, you can have a go in there, and there's a simulation that they run in there, which I did yesterday, mm. which is a, a distracted driving simulation. And it... Shows you what goes wrong when you t- start trying to text while you're yeah, yeah. driving. Yeah. Now, mate, I've done millions of kilometres driving, yep. millions of them. Yeah. 
And I honestly think I'm above average as far as yep. driving goes. I really do. Sure. Because I can read the traffic sure. pretty well and, and all that sort of stuff, just like you could read the traffic on the road. It doesn't come down to if you've had a crash or not a crash. Yeah. It doesn't come down no. to that. It's experience. It's experience. Yeah. A thousand kilometres a day, I yep. do, usually. Yep. So anyway, that aside, I've jumped in this thing, and it's a car, which is fine. I'm driving because I drive a car too. And the idea of the simulator is you'll drive along for four or five minutes, and the simulator measures how you maintain the vehicle in its lane, how you maintain the speed, whether you're using your indicators and all that sort of thing. You're just driving down the road. And I'm doing fine. I've scored very well doing that. It's great. Yep. yep. And then they send you a text message, which you've got to look to your left slightly to read on the screen. Yep. And the idea of it is you've got to read the text message out loud and then count the words to answer the text and then push a button on the steering wheel. Yep. And they do it to you over the course of like 10 minutes or so. Yep. And it's eight or 10 text messages. And some of them appear when the road's nice and straight and some of them appear when the road's not. And I was amazed, mate, I ended up on the wrong side of the road twice. Yep. Over the white line. Yep. And the only reason why I didn't have a crash was that there was nothing for me to run into at that time. At that moment. That's right. Fate. That's right. As you say. That's right. When we did the score at the end, they bring the whole thing up on the screen and they can graph and they can show yep. you how well you did. My speed went up by over eight kilometres an hour when I was concentrating on the text message. And my ability to maintain the vehicle within its lane dropped by about 30%. Now, see, I can tell yeah. you will say how shocked you are by that. I was made blown away. There you go. And this is someone who's got millions of kilometres of driving under their belt, right? So, and this is the thing that we need to make people realise. Yeah. But by telling them, yeah. going, oh, making a million dollar TV ad yeah. and putting it on TV. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. Get them in a simulator yeah. and show them the number. Well, we've got a course. Yeah. I've got a brilliant design by leading road safety scientist. Yeah. Course that we have for youth, it's for anybody, but yeah. we're focused on youth to try and get them through safely and, and learn things that are going to help them with their, their driving progress. Mm. It's a full day course, mm. and we can't get funding to, oh. to do this course. No one wants to know about it. Wow. Right? Corporate are too worried about making money. Uh, government just don't believe in driver training. Yeah. They won't even come and look at it. We can't get funding to do it because we subsidise it, heavily subsidised, so we can try and give every kid the opportunity to come and do it, not yeah. just those that have got money. Yeah. And again, that's another issue. We can't get funding to do it. And these are the things, right, that yeah. we do in our course to make the cognitive learning and people see to the pants actually practical, not telling them. Yeah. If, if the government gave us one ad budget, yeah. we could put through 5,000 kids yeah. through our course. Wow. But they won't even do that. Yeah. If we had the money for one death that they estimate the cost of, yeah. it's something like 10,000 kids we could put through yeah. our course. No, well, I, and then this is what we're dealing with. And you need cognitive, practical learning to yeah. be to be a safe. And then you know what safe means. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, I can tell you, mate, and I'm sure you will agree, well, my sponsors of my show, NTI in Australia, heavily involved in supercars in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Matt Stone Racing, with yep. the, you probably know who they are. Yeah, of course I do. They spend a bit of money on simulators and stuff, don't they? Yep. Do you think that they uh, would spend money on simulators for their drivers if they didn't work? That's right. They work. They 100% work. I mean, it's, it's a reprogram. So you've got a phone, yeah. right? But it's got operating system from 10 years ago. Well, yeah. it's, it's not up to date. It yeah. doesn't do the things that it's supposed to do, yeah. right? 
why aren't we updating yeah. operating systems and people? Yeah, you've got to do that. I mean, yeah, you get a license when you're 17 in New Zealand. You don't have to do a goddamn thing other than pay a fee and renew it yeah. every whatever 10 years or whatever it is. Crazy, you never have to update your skill set. Things don't change in a 10, 20, yeah. 30, 40 year period. Yeah. Are you kidding? And we learn from our mistakes if we manage to survive. But we're quite prepared to go and do something to professionally develop ourselves yeah. to, for a new job or, you know, to get another step of education or a certificate or whatever so I can go and do this, 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 this yeah. to better ourselves in that respect. But we're not prepared. You know, you imagine if right now, I mean, we should be doing some form of when you renew your licence, a competency test. Yeah. Not do a pass-fail test, but do a competency upgrade yeah. certificate to yeah. go, I, I've done this upgrade, I've done a course, yeah. right, and here's the certificate to prove it and then you can get your licence renewed. Yeah. Well, we should be doing it. We should. Anyway, I, I can go on for too long well, in this podcast. Be, People will be turning off by no, now. No, no, we, yeah. we can go on forever. Yeah. Eyes Up New Zealand yeah. is the thing. Where's that available to be listened to, mate? Oh, no, that's our course next year. The Depot is our podcast. The Depot. Oh, uh, yeah, so you can download that. So go to the, the depot.co.nz. It's available on all the mainstream podcast, podcast platforms. The Depot. The Depot. D-E-P-O-T. That's it. All right, You mate. got it. Well done. Yeah, we're just mostly industry talking to some interesting people about industry yeah. and, and stuff and learning a lot about different businesses and the challenges and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Greg Murphy. Mm. Road safety advocate. Yeah. Former supercar talk driver. Too much, yeah. So do I. Mm. I could talk underwater with marbles in my mouth. Oh, I realise that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Glad you came and visited the truck show here in Christchurch, mate. Thank you. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Andy here once more to get another great Aussie music artist in front of the on-the-road microphone. Now joining me for a chat this week is a lady we've spoken with some time ago who's been nominated twice for a Golden Guitar for Female Artists of the Year. She's rocked the TV stages of Australian Idol and The Voice and is unquestionably one of the most powerhouse female voices in Australian music. Her unique signature style rocks hard and her lyrics always contain a passionate message. She has a double degree in economics and business and had a promising career in the corporate world before deciding to follow her heart and share her amazing musical talent with the world. It's a good thing for us that she did. Talking about her brand new single called Bring It On, she said we've all felt undervalued and underestimated and taken advantage of at some point of our lives, just as we've all had self-doubts and questioned our worth. Bring It On is an empowering anthem about standing up for yourself and finding the strength to fight for the life you deserve. Her last album, Breaking Hearts, released in 2021, debuted at number one on the ARIA charts, with the title track one of the most played songs on digital radio right across North America. 
She's performed duets with some of Canada's finest artists, achieved multiple number ones and top ten hits, and has well and truly earned her place as a shining star in the Australian music landscape. To have a chat about her new single and what she's been up to since the last time we spoke, it's great to catch up once more with the wonderful Hayley Jensen. Now our old mate Murphy, as in Murphy's Law, not the supercars driver, got involved at this point and unfortunately the killer interview I recorded with Haley ended up sounding like two Daleks having a domestic. I couldn't just leave it be as it was an insightful chat with a wonderful lady, so I've had to rethink the presentation of this week's music chat. Therefore I'll do my best to narrate for you the best part of this ill-fated interview. After our initial greetings and a few minutes of gratuitous mutual admiration stuff, I raised the subject with Haley of her blockbuster video clips. Having just watched the video of her previous hit called Karma, I suggested that it should come with some kind of a health warning as it could have dire consequences for anyone watching it with a dicky ticker or severe asthma. It's red hot and it literally takes your breath away. Now Haley admitted that she truly loves making her music videos and it's one of the things that really ignited her passion for making music. She grew up watching shows like Rage on TV and noted how the video clips added a whole new dimension to the songs and brought them to life. She dreamed about one day starring in her own videos and now she's getting the opportunities to fulfil those dreams. She suggested that if I liked the Karma video I should watch the clip for her song Shake My Bones which was like a sequel to Karma. As Molly Meldrum would say, do yourself a favour and check out Haley's videos. Just be warned though, you might need to have a Bex and a good lie down afterwards. Just saying, okay? We went on to talk about Bring It On, her brand new single, and I asked her to explain the story behind the song and the video. She explained the concept behind the song and clip, which features a female boxer who, through the song and video, is used as symbolism and a metaphor for fighting for something you really want in your life. So they ended up getting this amazing female boxer who's number 11 in the world to star in the clip. The boxer's own story is quite incredible. She moved to Australia from Colombia for a better life and to be able to support a family. Her skills were not really transferable into the new life here. She struggled with the English language and, long story short, she went along to a boxing class and fell in love with the sport, deciding to pursue a career in the ring. She was in her 30s and everyone told her she was too old, but her passion by that stage was well and truly ignited and she forged ahead with it anyway, becoming one of the best women boxers in the world in spite of all the negative advice she'd been given. She's now only two fights short of reaching number one and her story inspired Haley so much she decided that this incredible woman was going to feature strongly in the Bring It On music video. Haley hopes it'll inspire others to harness their own fighting spirit to achieve what they want in life too. Now since the release of the song and the video, Viviana Ruiz, the boxer in question, is now using Bring It On as her theme music through the house PA system as she enters the ring for her fights, which no doubt will totally intimidate her opposition. I'm sure once you've heard the song, you'll agree. Haley says that the song is really just about sticking it to those critics who tell you you're not good enough. 
It's a case of, if you want it, go and get it. Because we've got one life, there's no rewind button. We've got a limited time here on this earth, so we learn, move forward, and create the life we want for ourselves and our loved ones. 2023 has already been a huge year for Haley so far, with shows pretty much every weekend since the beginning of the year. She's taking a short sabbatical for a couple of months to write and record more new material, and then she'll be hitting the road for some acoustic shows around the country before heading back out to do all the country music festivals again. Including in this, she'll be the featured artist at the Lights on the Hill Truckee Memorial Festival and Convoy this year, where she's super proud as her late dad, who was a truckie for many years, will be honoured on the memorial wall there. Now, as if all that's not enough, she then embarks on a tour called Cruising Country, where she joins a bunch of other great Aussie music artists on a musical cruise to New Caledonia. At this point in the conversation, I offered to go along as her personal roadie and guitar technician, to which she replied that there was already a long list of others who've offered to take on that job, so sadly I might have left my run a bit late on that and missed the boat, so to speak. She's concentrating now on writing and recording a new album, which is exciting for her legion of adoring fans. You can get all the latest on Haley's touring and new music by visiting her pages on all the social media sites. Just look for Haley Jensen or visit her website at HaleyJensen.net. It was truly a delight to chat with Haley again. She's one of the most genuine and fun people in the business, and I'm just so sorry the recording process let us down on this occasion, so we can't share the interview with you. Haley did promise, though, that we will catch up again a little later in the year, so next time I'll make sure we've evicted any and all of the electronic gremlins that invaded us on this occasion. Like I said before, check out Haley's brilliant music videos on YouTube. I guarantee you're going to love them. In the meantime, here it is, the brand new single from the uber-talented Haley Jensen with Bring It On. Apologetically, me a survivor. I've been strong, but I own when I'm wrong. Maybe I'll bruise, but I'll never break. And underestimating me would be a big mistake. So be wise, think twice. You couldn't hurt me if you tried. Bring it. You think I'm on the ropes or something you should 
Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. And happily, I won't be able to uh, attend the Brisbane Truck Show this year as much as I'd love to be there and catch up with Mike and um, all the other people who I speak to through uh, the On The Road podcast and On The Road Radio, like Yogi and um, Craig and hoping that Trevor Warner might be there too. I'd love to catch up with him and, of course, Andy and even Glenn Stirl, who I've yet to meet. But anyway, uh, I've, I have the privilege to uh, put a bit of an extended something to talk about together because the boys are going to be at uh, a waterhole somewhere. But anyway, oh, best wishes to all of you there, fellas, and, and ladies, of course. Mentioning Trevor Warner, uh, he has an interesting column on page 74 of uh, this month's um, Owner Driver magazine where he's speaking in his capacity as Secretary of the National Road Freighters Association. The headline is The Diplomatic Road. And uh, he goes on to explain some of the stuff that the NRFA is involved in, most of it, I'd say, but uh, well done, NRFA, for getting involved in so much all at once and it comes at a great cost of time and effort from those who have to fit it in with their day-to-day endeavours, as I used to as Secretary of the ITA and other things I got involved in back in the what we sometimes call the good old days, but maybe we should call them the hard old days, I don't know. Anyway, I'm a bit interested in one in a sentence or two here that... Um, Trevor writes, he says in the uh, subheading, aggressive approaches to state and commonwealth transport ministers will not achieve a desired result. Then further down into, into the depth of the article, it says aggressively communicating a state and commonwealth transport ministers doesn't achieve much and the rank and file never gets to hear about the problem. Transport ministers have their subcommittees and also collect and assess requests made by stakeholders. Government people have a huge task to assess all the requests from different departments and committees. It should come as no surprise why the hierarchy appear to be therefore unwilling to listen to angry truckies with the cricket bat other than to ignore them or politely ask them to leave. I've kept a pretty close eye on things that happen all over the place all my life in the industry since I was 17 years of age and uh, I'm not quite sure to what event or events Trevor's referring here. There's been plenty of occasions in the past where direct action has been necessary, and I'll I'll example a couple of those in a minute. The whole point of the matter is that um, when you're involved in representing your industry or representing yourself and others, however you want to uh, look at it, we can only ever speak for the members of the organisation that we're a part of if we're representing that organisation, but we can also speak to our experience over many years, as I try to do these days. And uh, the important thing is, as I said, we're here to solve problems, not to deal with personalities. So it's important to be diplomatic at all times, be polite, well-mannered, have your facts and figures ready, um, to what extent you can track them down, and uh, some days you seem to have more luck with that than others. But diplomacy itself is not necessarily the answer, because uh, there's different points of view involved here, and I'll give you an example. In the early 1990s, and I can't remember whether it was 93 or 92, I was involved to a um, a, a government conference for um, one of the departments there. The can't remember the real name of it. You know, it was all about infrastructure. And 
A senior public official who can remain nameless came up to me in the bar at the evening, on the evening of the first day, and he said, oh, you're that truck bloke, are you? I said, yes, I am. He said, uh, he realised, he said, I heard you saying something about trucks not to blame, not always to blame in accidents involving them. I said, yes, that's the facts and figures I've got here with me. And he said, well, uh, you're wrong about that. And I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, you're wrong about that. He said, as far as I'm concerned and my department's concerned, uh, he said, if a truck's involved in, a, in an accident of any description, either on its own or with another vehicle, the truck is always at fault. And I said, well, I don't mean to be rude, mate, but I said, uh, where would you draw a, you know, an unintelligent conclusion like that from? And he said, well, he said, the truck shouldn't even be on the road. I said, oh, how'd you work that out? He said, all the freight should go by rail. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, that's our stance in, in my department. And I said, well, good luck with it, mate. I said, uh, I don't know what you're going to run out of first, groceries or grog, but um, I said, just uh, let me know how you get on, will you? I couldn't stand it anymore. I walked away and left him to it. But I've reflected on that many times over the years, uh, not, not in a depressing or angry way. It's just I've reflected on the fact that us and the people we're trying to deal with to make, a, make things better and, and get a better deal are coming from two different points of view. And some days it just makes you wonder if they're even reconcilable. So while we should be diplomatic and well-mannered and, and, and respectful, deal with things in a mature and grown-up and professional manner, diplomacy itself will not always work because uh, with people with an attitude like that, a cricket bat won't even work. Good luck to the NFA and to you, Trevor, and for all you're trying to do. And I just want to, uh, uh, without being derogatory towards you or anything else, I'd just like to give you a couple of examples where a little more than diplomacy did actually help. I've forgotten the uh, the actual date, but I think it might have been the 21st of July, 1981. The story about it appeared, I think, in the October 1981 issue of Truck and Life, of which I no longer have a copy, sadly. But anyway, um, after a few weeks of planning and ringing people and trying to uh, encourage people, we planned a protest, a, a silent one-day responsible protest in Canberra. The problem was there were primary producers, particularly um, cane growers in, in central and northern Queensland and grain growers all over the country. They were running their trucks on excise-free fuel because primary producers didn't pay excise on the fuel supposedly for their tractors and their bore pumps and all those other things that aren't on the road. But these fellas were uh, using excise-free fuel for their heavy vehicles in the off-season. They'd go and work for different companies, and uh, what they were actually doing was using their tax-free diesel to undermine those of us who didn't use tax-free diesel and uh, able to uh, undercut our rates. So anyway, as I was Secretary of the ITA and uh, myself and the committee, we realised this was a problem and it was directly affecting some of us, myself included, we decided to organise a protest. So what we did, we organised enough trucks and some fellas didn't bring the trucks, they brought their ute and caravan or their family in the station wagon. We actually surrounded the full park. There was a, a park over the road from the old Parliament House and it was, uh, I don't know how many acres, but it was, it was surrounded by four straight streets. We managed to surround the whole park 
with uh, members of our protest. We had a nice quiet meeting there uh, in, in, in the park at one of the picnic tables and just said to everyone, now we've got a little delegation here. There was myself and two others. Uh, we're going to go and visit some people in Parliament. It had all been set up for us by a great mentor of mine who was actually a member of the Federal Parliament those days. He was a, a member of the lower house and um, he didn't have a portfolio or anything else, but uh, I met him through another chap who we got involved with in a court case earlier in the history of the ITA and um, he opened a lot of doors for us and, and very successfully so. Anyway, we had we had the fellows there all parked up and having a picnic with their, each other and their mates and their families and, and um, someone parked a little Toyota, Toyota diner under the front of a, a, a triaxle McGrath that uh, we pulled the prime mover out from under and there was a sign on it saying Senator Carrick's fuel saver because <laughs> there was one of the suggestions when we were complaining about the uh, discrepancy in fuel tax was that uh, we should learn to all learn to use less fuel, which was probably a little bit insensitive, but that's about what you expect from bureaucrats, I suppose. So anyway, while everyone sat nice and peacefully out around the park and the trucks were all there and the media were there and that, myself and the delegation went inside into Parliament House. The first thing we did was meet with Mr Fraser, the Prime Minister, to let him know that the trucks were there in a peaceful way. We weren't going to cause any troubles or blockade any roads and uh, that we'd already had the approval and, and supervision from the late Colin Winchester, who was the Commissioner for Police there at the time and a mate of a mate. So we had it all sort of pretty well sorted. So the Prime Minister was happy with that and he said, well, I'm not the... F- what, what are you here about? And we told him, he said, well, that's... He said, that's sort of... Uh, belongs to other ministers and I said yes we understand that uh, Prime Minister we we have appointments to see other people so off we went. We went and visited Senator Carrick who was the Minister for Resources and Energy at the time and um, he was pretty non-committal. I I don't think he really understood the problem and besides that I'm not sure that he even wanted to but he sort of palmed us off onto his his senior advisor he was. I remember him because later on he uh, didn't distinguish himself really well in another part of his career, but this fellow was also a little bit off-handed. And uh, so our next visit after that was to visit John Howard when he was Treasurer. Now, John Howard and Sir Joe Bielgen-Peterson are the only two politicians I ever engaged with that actually one made an undertaking and two kept it. Everyone else would palm us off or send us to a, up a bush track to another committee or another bureaucrat or... Uh, and you know another or even another government sometimes they'd say oh you better see the state government about this when we knew what state and federal issues were we weren't that stupid so anyway I digress we we ended up seeing John Howard and it was a very pleasant meeting and I'm sure that the door to the meeting was opened widely for us by my mate Alan and um, I'll be eternally grateful grateful to him for his support and his mentorship so John Howard said look uh, I can't give you an answer straight away. We understand the problem. I will uh, get back to you within a few days to let you know what conclusions we come to about it. So anyway, away we went. We, we stayed there for the day, talked to the media and, and things like that. And there was a few little interesting things happened there which don't need to be dwelt on. We told the uh, had a meeting at the end of it all and said, everyone, well, you know, we can go home confident that um, Mr Howard at least said he'll get back to us in one way, shape or form. And we thought, well, that's not a bad effort. Uh, we haven't been arrested. We haven't upset anyone. I also visited the uh, the leader of the opposition at the time, uh, so we kept it apolitical. And um, 
Yeah, he, he had all the nice, nice and right things to say, as you can in opposition. But the interesting thing was that uh, four days later, I got a phone call at my home from Mr Howard, and he said, look, he said, the uh, budget comes down in August. He said, there'll be an announcement there that, uh, that you should find satisfactory. He said, I'm not able to tell you what the announcement will be or... Uh, what we're going to do, he said, but we will uh, we will let you know. Now, the stance we took when we visited the minister, visited the treasurer and the other people, was that they either needed to drop the uh, fuel excise for everybody, or apply it to everyone who used their vehicles on the roads, on the highways, on whatever, other than in their paddocks. And as history tells us, um, Mr Howard made that undertaking when he called me at home and I passed it on to our committee and the people that were at the protest. And sure enough, in the budget, they came up with the decision that all road-going vehicles had to pay excise on their diesel and on their fuels. Um, you know, and it would have been much nicer to uh, have the, the fuel tax dropped altogether, but it wasn't, and because uh, it was never going to be. So direct action... Uh, worked. But it worked because we were diplomatic in the process of it all. But had we just sat on our hands and waited for diplomacy and committees to meet and be told to go to this one and that one, and if we had, hadn't had the, the, the power of numbers behind us that on the day, it would have been a, you know, it would have been a, a vastly different result in my view. And um, we learnt something that day and um, we, we uh, we certainly benefited from it because uh, all of a sudden um, the people who were getting a leg up with rates and costs uh, didn't have it anymore and they weren't happy but it didn't bother us. At least we were, things were a bit fairer. And, uh, you know, there was plenty of other uh, examples in, around the, uh, you know, starting with Razorback, which wasn't a cricket bat approach but it ended up that way because uh, the aggression started from the Premier, not from the blokes on the side of the road. All they wanted to do was make a point and and, um, and be heard. That's certainly what we did in Canberra that day in 1981. So while I applaud the uh, uh, the NRFA, sorry, uh, and and Trevor's column in, in uh, Owner Driver and what the uh, NRFA are setting out to do, and there's some wonderful people there, just like there is in all the other organisations, I do think that uh, while there's a lot, of, uh, a lot to be... Uh, understood and valued in what Trevor says, that uh, there may be situations down the road where a little more sway might need to be added to the diplomacy. And one of the things that's bothering me right now is the uh, the latest budget. Now, we're you know, we're hearing about the 6% over each year for three years and then it'll go to 10% on the road user charge. Well, you know, some people are saying the road user charge is necessary, but... Uh, when you consider the amount of fuel excise we pay and how that goes up exponentially every so often, um, I'm of the opinion that without having these these punitive increases in road user charges, we probably already pay our way. But uh, what are we paying our way for? Uh, a lot of waste and, and um, bad practices in road construction and... and um, not having enough parking bays, we're paying a lot of money out for not getting a lot of results. And uh, I, I heard Glenn Stirl say last night that uh, the uh, main roads in WA have done a wonderful job of trying to clean up all the flood damage up north and everything else, and so they have. But uh, it's not only for trucks, it's for cars and tourists and 
and but it is especially for the trucks to to feed and clothe and house and um, furnish the houses for the people up there that were caught out in the floods. But anyway, the um, there's plenty to uh, talk about as far as the current budget's concerned. I notice uh, that um, the federal government has also hit hit up the farmers, and that's a bit important because it involves us all. And they're going to have a new 10% levy on all domestic agricultural, fisheries and forestry producers to fund the cost of a new biosecurity system. So we're all on about the cost of living and helping people out and everything else, which is all quite marvellous, but at the same time, we're taking from one hand and taking with one hand and giving with another, or vice versa. And that's what's happening with road transport. Um, they're taking as much as they can out of, out of us, hoping that we won't get past the full um, impact of it all onto the economy or into the inflationary spiral. Uh, hopefully things are going to change there, but uh, the, the industry honestly doesn't have a good record of passing on its real costs and its true costs. But uh, man, when you look at what happened with Scots and the people that are putting all their gear into auction for various reasons, but they're not all going broke, but they're all making sure they get out before they do. We've got a serious problem here and the, uh, the structural insufficiencies of it all are just going unnoticed because uh, they've seen us, this industry and the farmers as a cash cow for so long, they can't break the habit. Well, I just hope that sooner or later and sooner rather than later, something happens that will. Um, one of the uh, people commenting on the um, uh, on, on behalf of the Farm, National Farmers Federation uh, said that they know we're, we're going, you know, everyone's feeling the pinch and right, right, this is the important sentence, right along the supply chain, the business which grow, process and transport our food and fibre are under immense pressure. Whether it's workplace shortages, damaged roads or the cost of capital upgrades, there are issues that need urgent attention if we want to achieve price release for customers. Sadly, tonight's budget fails to act on these in any meaningful way. Well, I, I, I could not help but agree with that and... Um, the National Farmers Federation uh, is entitled to its views and I'm entitled, as it, but we all are, to agree or disagree with them, but I do agree with them. And that's what got me wondering about the diplomatic road that Trevor Warner was talking about. There's a couple of issues where I think maybe some, some form of peaceful protest or direct action, as I described in Canberra in 1981, might be helpful. OK, you've got to plan it and you need to plan it carefully and quietly. Um, the 82 protest that centred around Mount Karinga and spread around all over the place in the Truck and Life report on it, Malcolm B. Johnson said, Protest 82, the owner driver's stand against Nifty Nev's impost of a 14% levy on diesel fuel, this was a New South Wales levy, was one of the best kept secrets of the decade. ASIO could learn a lot from the careful and detailed organisation by representative bodies of the independent hauliers. The first the nation knew of the protest was on the evening news, Tuesday 10th of August, when it was already firmly underway. Um, that was uh, due to a little bit of uh, some secret meetings between the ITA and the LDRTA and some others, you know, and Ted Stevens and the boys and his association. Um, yeah, so uh, we managed to spring a bit of a surprise on them and um, that was a pretty tragic outcome there where they got the, the batons and smashed into the windows of the trucks and drove them all down the road. But we managed to make the point. But uh, the other issue that uh, 
uh, apart from the um, uh, road user charge, which we certainly need to uh, be a bit more vocal on, and when um, Stuart had some interesting comments to make about that last night on Saturday Night Live on On The Road Radio, and uh, thank you for those comments, Glenn, um, and the answer to my question. The other issue that I think will only be resolved by some direct action, and uh, it's not up to me to plan it or organise it, I'm just making a suggestion for what it's worth. Um, the New South Wales government uh, has a serious issue with, with rest areas in and around Sydney, and uh, in other places too, but mainly in and around Sydney. Um, there's been good suggestions made. I made one and one of my something to talk about, uh, one of my early submissions there. And uh, nothing's happening. There's no rest area at Botany. People can't park in the industrial areas at night like has been suggested. Um, I don't know what what should be organised, whether it's a, you know, park a heap of trucks around a park or fill up a couple of service stations and refuse to budge or uh, drive around the block incessantly with the horns blowing for a couple of hours. Something or other needs to happen to wake the government up and the bureaucrats up, the people who believe that trucks are always responsible when there's a problem, uh, that un don't understand there's no rail sightings into the local supermarket. Something needs to wake these people up and get them out of their uh, laissez-faire attitude and, and think that they can solve things by just setting up another committee or sending the representatives along to another meeting. We need to get on with it. I know Rome wasn't built in a day and I know we can't expect a new rest area next week, but uh, by geez, we can make sure it doesn't have to wait until next century or the next decade. Thanks for listening. This is Bob McMillan and uh, have a great night. I hope all you blokes are happy down at the truck show because I'd love to have been there with you. Cheers. I have a little postscript to uh, tonight's something to talk about. A correction first up. I, uh, I said uh, earlier in my main broadcast, I mentioned the NTA. Well, I meant, I meant to say NTC. Apologies for that. <laughs> I don't know what the NTA stands for, but there's probably something or other with those initials, but it's not what I was talking about. I meant the National Transport Commission and its uh, adversarial way it, it administers the rules and regulations and refuses to be budged. Uh, also, uh, I mentioned Truck and Life. I was personally able to become friends with Malcolm Johnson very early in the piece in 1976 when uh, he started publishing it. I was always an admirer of him and the magazine and all it stood for, its relevance and uh, all the wonderful stories it, it uh, gave and support it gave to those of us who uh, were hoping to make a difference at the time. Truck and Life uh, went out of, uh, out of print some years ago and I can't remember the date because I don't have a full collection of them. But sadly, before that, you know, maybe four or five years before it went out of print, it totally lost its relevance. Because Malcolm called it the voice of the Australian truck driver, the voice of the Australian truckie, that's what he said. And it, it was it, he kept his word with that all the time he owned it. And then when Andrew Stewart was the editor, that it kept its word, and Mark Gibson. But um, later on, it changed ownership and uh, it changed focus and the people writing it were not passionate members of the in or admirers of the industry and it fell away. Well, the great news is, and it it's, should be already public news by now, is that uh, Mike and the team have uh, got their heads together and trucking life is to be reborn. And I'm sure that uh, if uh, you're a fan of On The Road Radio and the On The Road podcasts and you're uh, receiving some entertainment and pleasure out of what we're talking about and what we're trying to deal with and how we're trying to uh, be relevant, I'm pretty sure that that's going to transfer over into the re-release of Truck and Life. 
and uh, I hope you're all as excited as I am because uh, I know the boys putting it together are. They've decided they want me to be a little part of it, uh, whether that's just a, a one-off or a continuing thing, we'll decide along the way. But it's great to see that someone still holds the passion and belief in this industry in a way that uh, they're prepared to put their money where their mouth is and re-release something that uh, really stood stood us well for a long time. Please get behind it. Any potential sponsors or advertisers, I know Mike and the boys would love to have you on board, and the girls. We'll certainly uh, buy whatever products we need to buy if you advertise them in Truck and Life. And to all the potential readers... Get behind it, subscribe or buy it. It's only going to be quarterly, not monthly, so it won't be a big impost. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to seeing some relevance again in transport media because uh, apart from columns like Trevor Warner and, and um, Ken Wilkie and, and Rod, when he writes, uh, a lot of the transport media now is just filled up with press releases from vehicle or equipment manufacturers or suppliers and um, there's a few uh, interesting stories, profiles on people and that sort of thing, but... Uh, um, the issues have lost over in a lot of cases. Um, an article in this month's thing about facing the fuel cost crisis just uh, left the main points out, I felt, in in one of the other magazines. Anyway, uh, thanks again. Thanks for listening. And um, I won't bore you for so long next time. Cheers. supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you doing, just smile and tell them, never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say G'day, how are you? No, I mean how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Our music guest this week, country rock powerhouse Hayley Jensen is back with another of her hotter than hot singles. Here she is with Karma.
brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.